Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back again. How goes it, Keith? Well, it this nice in shorts and helmets and not in full pads on a Wednesday. How about that? Must be the bye week. Unbeaten this month, too. How Has about not that? lost a game in the month of October. Things are looking up, huh? There you go. Two-game winning streak. I still can't get over that stat. You're the one that gave it to me. What? Florida State had not won back-to-back ACC games since 2016. It's hard to fathom. It really is. I mean, the more you let it resonate and write it down, it just, <sighs> yeah. It is. I don't care who the wins are over. We'll take the New, two game wins. At this point, doesn't matter. Let's get right into it, Keith. Uh, we do this as our therapy session right after the game. It's called venting in, in it, some it, respects. But it's not venting when they're winning so much. It's uh, constructive that, criticism in that scenario. Okay, well, there's still some venting over on this side. <laughs> okay, well, could do do vent, do continue. I, man, offensive line. Again, we talked about in our first, first look show and while I was watching the game, you know, eight sacks. I'm not a coach. You have to go grade, but you know we'll we'll concede four of them. We're on Hornerbrook and or someone not doing what they're supposed to. Cut block that didn't get made. Whatever. But still, eight sacks, four of them legit. Couple of penalties. You know, offensive line. Uh, I think the local newspaper said they graded an F. I wouldn't. I don't know. Probably a D minus. Man, they need, they need some additional work. Maybe they're going to get Williams back for Clemson, et cetera, et cetera. Not disparaging them. They've made improvement. But um, still, well, venting still need to do work. I think they will get Juwan back, and that will help. But let's be honest. We knew the offensive line was not good. That's true. And no matter how much work they do, there's only so much better they can get given the limits of what their skill sets are. Uh, maybe. Uh, again, I don't I, I think, don't know them, So, I, and I don't know what Clements is looking for. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest lines ever was, you know, when Trickett came on board. How long ago has that been now? A dozen years or whatever it was. Probably 07, yeah. And uh, during that initial interview, uh, they had all the new coaches up there, and they said, well, Coach Trickett, what, what do you have to say? And he says, Jenny Craig starts tomorrow, <laughs> or whatever it was. Um, you know, every every offensive line coach has the way they want their kids to look and the things they want them to do. And um, and I just don't know. We, we don't know because it's only been here a year, all the things that Clements wants out of these kids. So uh, it's, it's a work in progress. I think, though, to flip it the other way, you have to continue to credit Kendall Bryles and the offensive staff for finding ways to scheme around. Now, the problem is we're five games in now, so there's five tapes out there for opponents to look at. And they know where Florida State's deficient. And they know how to beat it, so it's a matter of making the right adjustment and putting some drives together, which FSU did. Now that's against NC State. Understood. And, and I think one of the things that Kendall's, and I'm sure he's paying attention to, and if not, I'm sure Cam Akers is raising his hand and saying, Shoo, coach, coach, question, how to get Cam outside. I mean, they're working him inside, and obviously when he finds a little crease, as William Floyd likes to talk about, 14 inches is all he needs. He gets through there. We saw that on the 41-yard touchdown run. But, you know, a toss sweep or a pitch or, you know, a flare pass to the – I just like to find some ways to get Akers away from what is 
considered part of the deficiency and obviously this this offense can do it so I, it's not a question of if it's a question of when they put it in and i'm sure i'm preaching to the choir kendall was sitting right here beside me he smacked me on the back of the head and said no 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 kidding you idiot <laughs> yeah we're aware of that yeah no he knows what the deficiencies are i think what you're talking about is not bread and butter of what his offense is but there has to be ways to get the back outside exactly. given what the issue exactly. is and he's, he's smart enough to figure that out all right so that that was your event was that's my bet that's my bet well i mean that's been a how many year event now three years i mean that's not going to get fixed until the recruiting improves. what you're saying dante lucas is grading the highest now he's a true freshman he's grading out better than any other lineman what you're telling me is if the venting process would equate with losing weight i'd weigh 160 is that what you're saying you said that i didn't say that just checking what else is on the vent list Um, i mean dbs are you are we well again i'm back to the can you catch the football (laughs) Uh, we say the jugs gun will be we're very we're very half empty for a bye week on a two-game winning streak right now you know again my criticism of defensive backs in the first part of the season is they weren't where they need to be my criticism now is they are where they need to be but they're not making plays and so don't don't act like Deion Sanders and and Leroy Butler and and Tay Cody after a play that's thrown over or under or a receiver drops the ball act like them and knock the freaking ball down or intercept it and then i'll be happy that's the keith jones portion of the program we need to get a weekly sponsorship for that old man vent because it comes every week i don't disagree what, what, what it mean, be metamucil or uh i don't disagree so i'll just say this and i i mentioned it i think it was the it was the boise game but he was john again and he's gonna get a 15 yard penalty that's gonna hurt the offense but warren thompson who i like and is a talent but he needs to not do what you're saying after an 11-yard catch. And to go back to the Boise game, he caught the pass that went down to the one, and then the next two plays was they went backwards and kicked a field goal in that game after that 50-yard pass. I just have one hand gesture for you. Peace. <laughs> no, but my point is he got a warning from the official that uh-huh. game, not a flag. Same thing he was John with a cornerback. Uh, the other night, officials have to step in. But Demar and Terry is going to get a flag without a warning if he flashes another peace sign. Well, he didn't do that the other night. Good for what, him. what else is on the vent list? How about the bad. field goal kicker? Have we is the Aguayo era over? Oh, I, I, you would have to say yes. Is, is there another brother? Is there another brother? <laughs> <laughs> Tom Tom Lang says no, <laughs> emphatically. <sighs> I, I mean, you'd have to say yes. It's it's growth houses and, and, until he messes up, and then you go somewhere else if he does. And obviously, we haven't seen him kick the field goal, but he was fine on the PATs, and he's been great on the kickoffs. So, I, yes, unfortunately, I think I think it is too. And it's not you know it's not like Aguayo struck the ball well and it's fading and missed. Or it hit the upright. Yeah, I mean, they, Which, they, didn't they, they, somebody had it. Who, who hit the, the NC State? NC State, State hit it upright. Okay. Do you think we've had clock management school for the home clock operator this week, by the way, so there's not one second left at the end of the first half? I didn't even pick up on that when it happened. You were the one that brought it to my attention. Well, uh, think but about yeah, No, no question. It was, there was 10 seconds, and Hawkman gets it and runs around for nine seconds and throw. I mean, literally, it was – it would not have been suspicious if you just ran it to zero. It was almost more suspicious that you stopped it that quick. What you're saying is the clock operator stopped the clock when the football went out of the field of play, and he could have held it until the football hit the ground. And then there's the natural, you know, half a second it takes to react. Just saying. 
All right. That's your vent? That's your only vent? Uh, that's not my only vent. Okay, just checking. I, I mean, I'm not a, the offensive line is what it is. We knew that. I mean, the rest of the team has shown pro- – the biggest thing to me continues to be that week to week there's progress. He sounds like the, he sounds like the junior in high school that asked all the pretty girls out, and now he's going to prom with his cousin. Well, it is what it is. Hold on a second. No, 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 no. I'm not the one from Wildwood here, so let's not talk about going to prom with well, my cousin. Well, that, all of them are related to me. That was the only way it was going to work. <laughs> I, you know, I, the bigger question is going to be the quarterback situation. Because people have dug in. I, I fully expect it'll be Blackman. I think Blackman oh, there's will be no healthy. Qu- and there's no question it should be Blackman when he's healthy. There, I mean, to me, that's not even a, a debating point. Where it will become interesting What's is it? if Blackman goes in and doesn't play well. Well, but if you look at the track record, he'll play well, and then there'll be four or five series where he doesn't play well or the offense doesn't move. So that's when the question is going to come, do you put Hornybrook in? Uh, if it's four or five series... Yeah, probably. I do several radio sh- shows, not consistently, but you get invited on them. I'm sure you do, too. And the theme this week, and I've done Tampa and Jacksonville and a couple other cities, they're all clamoring and saying, how come Hornybrook's not the starter? I mean, that's the that's the view from afar from people that don't necessarily watch every minute, every right. game. That's the question I'm getting repeatedly. No question. No pun intended. But the reality is you don't lose your job because of injury. Blackman was not able to go against NC State. We got a bye week. As long as he's healthy, he starts against Clemson, and then you go from there, my opinion. I think it's going to end up being two quarterbacks a lot. So I hate that. I know you do. I know you do. But and I, and I, I mean, grew up. I grew up just, with Jimmy you, and Wally. But you it just worked. mentioned the hot cold thing. Yeah, and I grew up with Jimmy and Wally, and I saw it work. Uh, we saw a little bit of it with with Casey and Brad, although that was basically a benching, and they went to Casey full time. You know, we've seen what you know Florida has done in years past, and there are other programs out there even today that that play you know two quarterbacks, but. I don't like it that, you know, the book says, whoever wrote the book, that if you have two starting quarterbacks, you have zero starting quarterbacks. And I, that's just what I subscribe to or ascribe to. You asked about venting. We haven't talked about targeting yet today. Would you like to have that discussion again? No, not with you. We've solved the problem, though. Well, no, no suspensions on the field. Greensboro reviews it on Sunday. Suspensions are announced on Monday morning. Or Sunday afternoon, start of the work week, whatever. Well, we'll give them an opportunity for more news somewhere. Well, that's more nuanced to it. I've advocated for it for consistency's sake and to stop the delays. The delays that are so incessant are ridiculous. Well, see, the problem is you and I disagree on that. I don't have a problem with the initial delay trying to determine the targeting. The problem is they either don't pay attention to where the ball is supposed to be. Nobody, you know, people are not doing their job about original placement, where is it marched off from, and or what the clock should read. So then they got to go back upstairs and spend another two or three minutes doing what I call administrative stuff that has nothing to do whether it was targeting or not. That's on the crew. And this crew was horrible about that. They they were. And this is really tangent to the targeting issue because the one of the problems with targeting is that the rule's never been clearly understood that there's multiple ways that you can get flagged for targeting. And it feels like it gets more heavily scrutinized in the ACC. I heard the guys on headlines talking about this and by the way, in terms of officiating. There's nothing long-term. wrong with tackling with uh, clotheslining somebody. That's not targeting or a penalty. If you clothesline them in the head, is that not targeting? Nope. Not if it's a running back or a wide receiver after they've become a non-defensive player. 
Now, you can make the argument about the play on the sidelines, which I didn't think was even out of bounds. I, I wouldn't have thrown the flag. He on initiated it while it was in bounds, exactly. but continued it afterwards. But I wouldn't have thrown the flag just like they did. But but had it gone the other way and they threw a flag, you would have said it was justified I, 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 because I, it was right up there right, against it. Right I mean, against you it. could, yeah. But my point is, it is not a penalty to clothesline somebody. That's in get, and of itself. That's getting us away from the the Janaris Robinson hit, though, and the fact that there's multiple ways that it can be triggered. And I don't feel like the the public has ever really understood that. But the bigger thing, and we talked about this the other day, is the letter of the law is getting in the way of the spirit of the law. So they have to reevaluate it. The how they actually dole out the suspensions, or whether you you review it during the game, that's just my personal two cents. That's a side note to the targeting thing in general that needs to be reevaluated. And we're getting to the part of the year where, remember, the new rule is in place that if you get a second targeting call in the same season, you're suspended – or is it the third targeting call? Anyway, multiple calls, you can be suspended for a whole other game on top of whatever that one is. Wait till that hits because most people don't know that rule has even been so in there. So rather than complain about it, Keith, and who knows when the – how can you possibly – how can you tweak the rule so that it takes into account the last-minute adjustments of the ball carrier? I, I, I don't – Because that's what's – I agree. Half of the ones that are controversial is because somebody moved at the last minute, and now that, – That becomes strictly a judgment issue, and that's, that's why the officials and the official body <clears throat> have stayed away from and said you can't ju- – you have to judge intent – you can't write a rule that it's, – it's like the difference between a fire or a car accident in insurance versus a disability claim. The definition of disability says the inability to do something. Well, I could be in a car accident and not be disabled, or I could be in a car accident and be disabled if I can't do things because of it. So how do you define intent? You can't. And then the sub part of that is how do you define, and it's strictly judgment, that the defensive player picked a target, no pun intended, at the belt line. The receiver and or the running back and or whomever saw him coming and ducks into him. That's judgment. And that's what the officials have gotten away from. And if you are going to judge that, you need to recognize you're going to open up a whole nother can of worms because just like we argued and not argued, I'm okay with the penalty on the sideline or I'm not okay. It was that close. Somebody had to make a judgment. You agree. I agree. Those two disagree. So you're going to open up a whole nother can of worms that the official bodies have said they want to stay away from. They want to try to do something that's concrete, but it's a non-concrete thing. So go back to the reason the rule was created in the first place, which was? To eliminate the helmet-to-helmet contact and to eliminate striking above the shoulders on a quote-unquote defenseless player. To eliminate that on the surface or to eliminate it being taught and instructed by coaches and players freely doing that? There's the other thing. No coach teaches you to hit with the crown of the helmet. They can coach against it, but they not nobody treats that. But my question Coaches is that we used to have lots a lot more spearing. I mean, has it has it improved? I feel like when we debate targeting because we debate almost every targeting call, it's because it's a fringe judgment. It's not I took three steps and I put the crown on my helmet have, have we eliminated spearing? I think we've done a very good job of eliminating spearing. I'm, I'll be the first to tell you that 40 years ago when I played, 
under this targeting rule, I probably would have been thrown out of ball games. There's no question. So yes, we have eliminated the traditional spearing. Okay, we've just opened up this other Pandora's box that we can't agree to. We've done good for the game. Now we're talking about the nuances of it, in my opinion. Others may disagree. This risk management portion of the program was brought to you by the Earl Bacon Agency. We'll open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline momentarily. I will remind you, though, that our friends at Madison Social and Township have the Oktoberfest going on this weekend. I think there's 4 million German or German-style beers on tap. It's, it's approximately 4 million. might be actually like 30. But I was there Monday point night. point is, it'll be a good time this when you, you were there Monday night. I was night. there Monday night with a uh, colleague of mine from Jacksonville, and uh, I recommend the fish and chips. It was delightful, and the company was great. You've been spending a lot of time down in College Town lately, hey, Keith. Matthew, I'm not judging. Ma- Matthew, I'm on the way. I'm just saying. We'll take a break. Continue on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We'll get back to the football talk when our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante joins us next segment. But we're going to switch gears and talk a little volleyball now as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. And KJ, Florida State's got a long track record of this when you think about victories. I mean, Bobby was up there, obviously Mike Martin, uh, folks with a lot of longevity. And lo and behold, Chris Poole is uh, the fourth winningest active Division One coach in, the, in NCAA volleyball with 824 career wins. That was entering this year. So I think you're up to 832 now. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. And uh, I don't know where the years go, but this is this is year 12 for you here at FSU. And I know you've had great success. You're a perennial NCAA tournament uh, team. What do you like about your 2019 version of the Seminoles? You know, first, I think it's a group of young ladies that are really committed. They're dedicated. They work hard. Uh, just great kids, good students, uh, good citizens. So uh, it, it's a fun team to be around. And, and they, put, they put in a lot of work over this past year to try to prepare for this season. And I, and I think that's the reason that we've been, we've been successful. We've lost a few matches, but we've played. I think it's rated the number 11 best schedule in the country so far this season. So it's a great competition. And when you play great teams, sometimes you're going to lose matches, but you also learn during that journey. Coach, uh, one of the things that that may not impact exactly what you do and what your ladies do at FSU because of your longevity here has really come to fore. I had lunch yesterday with, with two of my granddaughters. One's nine and one is six. And they are both going to volleyball camps this in in in, 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 in their off season or in their time off because their dad took them to one of your volleyball games and they loved it. It, it must be a little bit rewarding to see those young faces out there. We always love it. Matter of fact, our camps have grown more and more each each summer since I've been here. We had around seven hundred and fifty kids come through this summer during our camps. So it's it's so much fun to have them come in. It's fun to see them up in the stands, and and I think you know people that haven't gone to a live volleyball match don't know what they're missing. 
because it, it, is, it is a very exciting, high-paced sport, and there's action constantly. There's never a drag in the game because there, the, the ball is always moving in, in some way, and, and every play is going to result in a point for one team or the other. So it's, it's, just, it's a lot of fun, and I think people that, that come out and watch us would see that our girls are great athletes, they, they are very passionate, and, and they're going to play hard. To that point, Coach, and it's been years now, but it used to be that not every play would re, uh, result in a point because there was there was side out. So from your comments there, I th- it sounds like you agree that that's been a good thing or a good change for the game, and I know that's been a decade or however long it's been. It's, it's been a while, but, but you're exactly right. I, I've been doing this. This is my 36th season as a, as a volleyball coach and as a collegiate volleyball coach. And so watching the game go from side out to where you can only score when you're serving to where it is now, I think the initial shock of that and the change was hard to try to kind of get everybody's minds the right way as, as a coach, but the fans have always loved the rally scoring because it was easy for them. I think often it was misunderstood or, or they, it was harder to understand when the team scored and when they didn't score and things like that. And now they just know that when that whistle blows, the serve comes in. And when that whistle blows again, somebody's earned a point. And so it, it is, it's put the game uh, fast paced. Uh, the rally scoring are a little bit shorter matches than what they used to be also, because every time there's a, there's a play, there's a, there's a point scored. Chris, I've been asking coaches, uh, at least recently, kind of my, my thing, and I think our listeners really enjoy the answers. If you became the commissioner of collegiate volleyball and you, you had the ability to change rules, change procedures, change things, what's the number one thing that needs to change in, in volleyball to take its next step at the collegiate level? That actually, that's a really good question. <laughs> and I, I guess I don't get asked that question enough. Um, so I don't have a ready answer. I would say that probably the uh, right now they have gone to uh, having plays reviewed and things like that. Uh, I think it's it's put a temporarily put a little bit of drag on the game part of the time. You know, you, you see it on TV some where the play stops. You got to you know you got to have a rewound and the, the officials look at it and things like that. Right now, they're still trying to really learn that system, so it will drag the game of, you know, for a couple minutes there while you're waiting on that decision to happen because I think fans like the fast-paced part of it. You know? So I think that's something we've just started doing the last few years, and I feel like they will get better and better at it being able to do that. Um, I, you know, for, for me, I think volleyball is, is a game to where – People of all ages can enjoy it, and we have that in the stands. We have people of all ages that will watch it that I think really love uh, seeing the sport and being able to understand it the way they can now because of the points I think has made it much easier to be a great spectator sport. That issue you're referring to is a problem across all sports right now, and that's the the merits of getting it right with advanced technology today versus the drag you're putting on the game and how it, it really – uh, to me, it diminishes the spectator experience watching the games on that. So, for those who haven't been to your to your matches, coach, you've got uh, you're coming off a two game ACC sweep uh, on Tobacco Road, and you've got Virginia and Pitt at home this weekend. So, give us a little thumbnail or a little preview on what you expect this weekend. Well, Virginia is a uh, is a team that's kind of rebuilding a little bit, although 
this is this is probably one of their better years. They're they're nine and six right now. They're doing a doing a great job of of uh, of a young coach getting them rebuilt again. I expect it to be when you play a team like that that's in a rebuilding mode. They have nothing to lose to come in. So I'm expecting them to come in and really play hard against us. And and it forces in volleyball. The thing about it is is that you can't just sit back and and win. You have to press and try to, to to do what you need to on your side of the net. We always tell our girls that it's it's irrelevant who's on the other side of the net. The net separates the team. So you have to do something on your side to be successful. And so it's going to be important that we play our game against Virginia. And of course Pittsburgh's having the best the best year they've ever had. They're currently um, I think number number six in some of the polls, and, and even in the RPI, they're currently fourth in the NCAA RPI. So a very good team. Uh, they they um, matter of fact, they're a team that most of their players have played together the last couple of years. So they're one of the more experienced teams in the entire country, and and have had a good season because of that. They're twelve one right now. Uh, the only match they've lost is to Penn State, and they actually have beaten Penn State. They split this season already. And Penn State is also a top ten team, so it's it, it is going to be a great battle. I, I would have, I feel like this Sunday will certainly give an early lead for whoever wins that match in the ACC, and I think we're probably two of the favorites. And in, in my last ten years here, we've been in the top two battling for an ACC championship eight of the last ten years. So. We're in that same situation again. Sunday's going to be an important match. We've got them at home, so we're hoping fans will come out and, and give us a lift. That match is uh, noon on Sunday at Tully Gym. Coach, that's a perfect segue, and, and we can wrap up on this. And I know you and I have talked about this uh, over the years since you first arrived, but one of the things that you brought with you when you got to FSU is uh, expertise in understanding RPI. And you, you've always been able to schedule in a way, and you, you referred to this a little bit earlier. I mean, it's a roll of the dice because you might suffer some setbacks, but you get the RPI to a point that your team is considered for the NCAA tournament. And, and in that vein, I, I believe there's still not an ACC volleyball tournament. And part of that is so that you have another free weekend to go play other teams from other conferences. Uh, correct me where I'm wrong on that, but really just, just kind of shed some light to the degree you can on, on the the method to your madness or the science behind it? Well, I, you know, with the, with the RPI, it's going to take into consideration the teams that you're playing. And in particular, your, your wins are worth 25%, but your opponent's record is worth 50%. So who you play against your opponent is going to be very important on who they're going to play and what kind of record they're going to have. And then the other 25% is your opponent's opponent. So it is a complicated formula when you're just talking about it. But, but the point is, you want to play good teams that you know are going to win a lot of matches. That's what you want to do. And so we set out every year to, to schedule those kind of teams in our, in our um, uh, non-conference schedule so that we know they're continuing to win matches throughout the entire season. And that's what's happening even for us right now. We're, we're in the top 20 of the, the RPI again, and some of the – there's several different RPI methods, and the official one doesn't come out for a couple of weeks. But the unofficial ones, we're anywhere from 16th to 22nd, depending on which formula they're using. But we're in that range right now. But as the season progresses, all the good teams that we've played in preseason will continue to lift us. If you're playing bad teams, it's like an anchor that continues to drop you because every week they're losing matches. 
So you want to you want to make sure you're playing people that win a lot of matches, and that that is stuff that we've been able to do every year. And it is it is always really important to me on setting up a schedule that's going to allow us to be successful at the end of the year for the NCAA tournament. Coach, uh, I said final question. I'm going to stick one more in. Who who's your uh, your top players or, or, or people that uh, our listeners should be aware of? Well, we've we've got a great mixture of young ladies this year. Some some of the upperclassmen that have done really well and that are leading us. Uh, Taryn Canoose, she's actually currently number one in the country in blocks per set, and was the number nine player in the country coming out two years ago. Whenever we we were lucky enough to to get her to commit to us, and and is a junior this year for us. And then Peyton Caffrey is actually the returning. ACC Player of the Year from last year as a junior, and she's a she's a senior for us this year, and, and is an outside hitter. An uh, Orlando, Florida young lady uh, has done really well for us. And then Jasmine Martin is a transfer uh, from from Minnesota that has come in this year. That's also a junior, and she was the number sixteen player in the country coming out of high school two years ago. So those are those are kind of our primary three hitters that, that really have to carry us. And then, of course, we've, we've got a lot of secondary hitters that do a great job, and, and we run anywhere from a one- to two-setter offense. Usually it is with two-setters, and, and those two young ladies are, are younger. One's a freshman and one's a sophomore. Uh, do a great job for us, Lily and, and Adrian. And then we've got a senior libero, Madison Sullivan, that is uh, from Jacksonville, Florida, that that um, kind of helps patrol our, our passing out of the back row. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's really a great group, and they, they work hard, and you just see them getting better every week. Coach, congratulations on the continued success uh, that you've enjoyed with the program, a top 25 ranking again this year. Good luck this weekend and the rest of the season. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Chris Poole, the, uh, now a dozen years in, is Florida State's volleyball coach. Uh, yet another, it's the case with every program at Florida State, pretty much a perennial NCAA team. Well, and I'd, I'd encourage our listeners and anyone else, you know, particularly on Sunday when you got Pitt coming in, I, I know all coaches would like to have a brand-new dedicated facility. All right, and uh, Coach Poole is no different than any other of the quote-unquote uh, minor sports. But Tully, when it's full for a volleyball match – is a very very exciting thing and if you've never been to a volleyball match the biggest thing that you'll walk away from is the athleticism of these ladies this this is not badminton they're serious and the and and you know we talk about a kicker kicking a football and the sound when uh, Deckerhoff talks about when the leather meets a shoe toe meets leather when when those balls are flying around and when they're spiking things and they're blocking things i mean it 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 It'll make you jump. I mean, it's almost like gunshots going off. It's it's a fun thing. I enjoy going. Apparently, I do. I appreciate the endorsement. So does Coach Poole. We appreciate him joining us too. He, Very much. He's done a, he's done a great job with the volleyball program over the years. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll welcome our Osceola Insider Bob Ferrante when we come back. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
everything's feeling good. It's a two-game win streak, KJ. Peace out. Let's welcome our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, we haven't asked you what you would like for your walk-up music, but we, we can get that in cue for next time you're on the show. I mean, do, you, do you have a favorite, Bob? Do you really? Where would you like us to go on this, Bob? You know, I like the Pearl Jam the last couple of times that I was on. I always liked the uh, the 70s and 80s rock. Uh, that was a little bit mellow, but but maybe that's, uh, that's feel good for a two-game win streak. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd, I'd rather go the rock. See, Keith Keith's walk-up music would be, it'd either be Chicago or Air Supply, and I'm not sure which song. But am I correct, Keith? Ah, uh, you'd be close. I'd be close. Yeah, be it's, close. It's in one of those two. All right, Bob. Noted. Uh, Pearl Jam or something that's a little more upbeat. Nirvana. At least it was. Yeah. Do you want to go? How heavy do you want to go? Aren't you impressed? I, I knew that name. You know, I, I was an '80s hair band guy, so uh, Eight, there we go. Oh, Tom Lang just yeah. fell off oh, his chair. '80s <laughs> hair band. It is from now through eternity. '80s hair band for Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. We got it. <laughs> All right, Bob. So a bye week. We're feeling better. We're three and two. Uh, there's lots of yeah buts, but I'll start. Yeah, with the, but I'll start with the three and two. That's not bad. Yeah, this team needed some momentum going to the bye week. I think they got it. You know, learning how to finish. That's what they did against Louisville and NC State. I think the fans needed this too. They needed to feel good and feel some enthusiasm, the optimism for you know not just where the team was going, but where the program was going under Willie Taggart. Now you're starting to see it. Um, yeah, obviously Clemson's next, and we think we know how that one's going to go, but I think most fans that I've talked to feel uh, feel a lot better about how the rest of the season's going to unfold. Bob, we've done what everyone else has done, and that's criticized the offensive line. Maybe they took a step back. I don't know. But at the same time, can can they continue to get a little better? Can they get to the point where they're serviceable, or, or, or are we going to – have to vent every uh, Wednesday on front row Knowles about how badly the offensive line continues to perform? I think the answers are yes and yes. Yes to serviceable and, and yes to venting. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but a good stat that uh, our friend David Hale from ESPN.com put out. You're talking about the rate of pressure allowed against FBS defenses. and Eight of ACC teams are below the national average of 29.1%. So Florida State is sixth in the conference at 35.9. Miami's eighth, last among those eight teams at 41.7. So this isn't just a, a Florida State has a you know struggles on the offensive line concern. This is you know all over the ACC. Everybody's adjusting. It's it's going to be a season long storyline. It's been a season long storyline. What now for five years, right? So I saw decade long season. I, decade long. See, it's all perspective, Bob, because I saw David Hale tweet that, and he he pointed it out as this is where the ACC is deficient as compared to saying this is where the ACC's D-lines are so great. He didn't give any credit there. He just <laughs> said it's the OLs are no good. But to that point, so if you couple that stat with whatever the, the yards after contact number is for Cam Akers, which if he has 575 yards rushing, it feels like that number is like 550 of the 575 yards. Uh, it goes to say, and we know this, There's lo- there, the, the offensive line is not where it needs to be for FSU, but Kendall Bryles and, has done a good job of working around that when you consider that at the end of the day, it's not always pretty, but there's 30-something points on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, scoring 30 points in, in four of your five games, and remember last year it was only in three of the games. So 
we've seen some definite progress. We've seen some big plays. Um, I like Alex Hornibrook when he's, when he's at his best, when he's decisive, when he's throwing those kind of crossing patterns uh, between the seams. That's, that's where he seems to be very successful. If, if he takes a little too much time, he's definitely running around for his life. And, um, you know, th- this offense is, is a work in progress. I think we're seeing improvement. It is going to take time. Maybe we haven't seen the best of this offense yet. That's, that's one sign of optimism. I think we can, we can expect some gradual improvement uh, as we go through October and November, too. Bob, I think the fan base uh, believes, at least the majority of them, that there is, quote, unquote, a quarterback controversy and or you should play both of them. Tom and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Tommy, are of the opinion that this is James Blackman's team to start against Clemson as long as he's healthy and there's really not to accomplish too much to accomplish by playing two kids. You need a starter and you need a backup. Where do you, where do you fall on the spectrum? Yeah, I, I think Coach Taylor's position is if healthy, it's going to be James Blackman. That's kind of what he said before NC State until that knee injury flared up again. I've always been an advocate that you have to have one clear, defined starting quarterback. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also a guy who likes to see a backup developed through some reps within games, whether it's you know against a, um, a ULM type of opponent. And obviously that didn't work out this year. Or is it a younger guy, is it an older guy like Alex? And these are his first reps in this new offense with this new team, new receivers, everything. So I would be a proponent still of if James Blackman is starter moving forward, and I think it probably will be if he's healthy, that you still have to find a way to get Alex Morningbrook in the game, whether that's a, a drive early on, first half, maybe it's a drive after halftime. I just think you have to find at least an opportunity to throw a wrinkle because you got to throw something at Clemson just to throw them off balance. That's, that's really your, your way of kind of stunning the, uh, the heavyweight champion. Who didn't look like a heavyweight last time out. I think to me, and I haven't watched them closely, but there is something to having the bullseye on your back and, and the old cliche of getting everybody's best shot. That appears to be where Clemson's at right now. Uh, what do you think? I, what I've seen of Clemson has been pretty limited highlights here and there. I did get to catch uh, a good portion of their game against North Carolina, and I think that one was surprisingly close. It, it doesn't look like the Clemson of, of years past where they are that juggernaut, but I think when you look at what they can do, their potential at home with a crazy crowd, that could be a 3.30 or 7.30 game. Uh, you never really want to play them at night at Death Valley. I, I think... You know, with, with Florida State, you have to play your best football. It's kind of cliche. You can't do the turnover game. You can't commit penalties like you did last week. If you want to have a puncher's chance, you have to uh, to not hurt yourself. Do you think – I mean, last, last year's loss was as resounding and as complete as I can ever remember, uh, Clemson over Florida State. Most of these kids are aware of it. Obviously, they most of them played in it. You think there's a positive or a negative from having had your tail handed to you that badly the year before as you get ready to go up there? Right. I think you could look at it either way. And, and if you're a Florida State player, you have to look at it as, as, a, as a positive. You have to look at it as, you know, that's my motivation that, that we need to show we're better than last year. And, you know, I think a lot of people nationally are, are using that game to see 
you know, how big is the gap between Clemson and Florida State? These were the two teams that, my goodness, this was the best rivalry, not just in the ACC, but probably in the nation for, what, 2009 through about 15 or, or 16 when those great games were going down the wire or, you know, when Florida State had that big win in, in 2013. And now we're looking at it as, you know, Clemson has leaps and bounds better than Florida State and everybody else. Well, you know, can the Seminoles show that, that they can close that gap, they can be a, a contender and, and kind of put, put a scare into a, a Clemson team that, you know, like you guys have mentioned, Clemson's been on the ropes against Carolina in the past years with Syracuse, putting up some good battles. So I'm not saying there's a great formula to beat Clemson, but I think at the end of the day it comes down to not, not hurting yourself, not making those stupid mistakes. Alabama and LSU are on line too, by the way, Bob, about what was the best rivalry for that same time period you mentioned. Obviously, Clemson-FSU was on the short list, though, uh, along with Alabama and LSU during that span. I'm thinking about what, you know, the Death Valley and the Death Valley at night thing, and I don't have the stats in front of me. But so FSU won there in 13, and they won there in 99, and those were both national championship teams. But how many other times since 99 has FSU won at Clemson? And I, I feel like the answer is maybe one, but I'm not remembering when it was. What was Bowden's three hundredth? That, that was that was ninety nine. Did they win in 01? 03 They lost. I, I vaguely remember that thirteen game. There was a, a big storyline of how Florida State had not won at Clemson in maybe four or five trips up there. So it, it had definitely been a long, a long drought before that twenty thirteen win. So yeah. It, they're few and far between. So, um, so it might be two wins in the last two decades, and they were both by national championship FSU teams. It might be. I mean, I might be missing one in there, but that might be what that number is. So, boy, I don't feel much better about next week. Now, thanks that I, for bringing that up. Yeah, now that I brought that up. Um, so, let's talk about Wake Forest, Bob. How do you like? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what what else is going on in Seminole sports right now during the bye week? Uh, we've we've reached the crossover point where uh, basketball is is bouncing away over at the BTC. Volleyball and soccer are into their midseason, so there's a lot going on. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're looking to kind of cure those bye week blues, I, I think I think volleyball has got some matches Friday and Sunday, and then soccer is playing on Saturday. You know, those are two two teams that have kind of gone underneath the radar, with football taking uh, priority here, and, and baseball's back. Uh, you know, it's good to see fall ball and and uh, see Mike Martin Jr. in the dugout. You know, actually able to interview him sitting down in the dugout, which is kind of a surreal, surreal feeling because he is always uh, standing behind the batting cage and watching hitters. And he, he took his dad's position there on Monday to talk to us for a little while. And it, it just felt very, very kind of strange, but it, it is a little bit of a new era. And I think he's, he's really fired up about the team he's got. He's assembled a great coaching staff with Mike Metcalf, who has been a, um, a longtime scout and cross-checker with the San Francisco Giants. And Jimmy Bellinger is the pitching coach, so kind of interesting to see what happens there with fall baseball. They've got some uh, exhibition games coming up over the next month, and curious to see how the uh, the program takes shape. You know, as Mike Martin Jr. puts uh, his own kind of stamp on the program. I know he kind of wants to to separate from what his dad has done over the last uh, forty years. Speaking of which, did you head to the wrong dugout to interview him? <laughs> We we were in the uh, the first base dugout to interview him, so it was kind of like old times. But but yeah, it sounds like they're going over to that third base dugout, and uh, yeah, no names on, on the backs of jerseys. That 
it's going to be very, very different. Um, although Meat did say that, that they want to walk still, they want to be patient, but you know they're not going to let that ball in the inner third of the plate get away from them anymore. They're going to be more attacking and aggressive. I think you know that's that's what all fans really want to hear is that they're going to be attacking and and trying to make that run to Omaha with uh, with more aggressive bats. More aggressive uh, is what comes to mind when I look at the Twitter feed of Mike Metcalf, by the way, who apparently is is the social media guru now on this new staff. Have you noticed that? Because, and I don't follow baseball recruiting. I don't know many that follow it that closely, Bob. But apparently every time they get a commitment, just like Willie tweets out the ring ring, he tweets out the welcome to tally. And there's been a lot of these over the last uh, month or so. Yeah, we think we saw one Monday afternoon as they were uh, wrapping up um practice so it, it sounds like mike martin jr and the staff got a little bit of a late start to 2020 i think with all the hires and, and getting guys cleared to go out on the road but he's he's really happy with how recruiting has gone long term and he's, he's thrilled with 21 22 23 which is really hard to look out that far you know when you're a baseball program and you lose so many guys to the draft but but metcalf is a guy who is a sarasota native uh, Florida State's family, his dad's a graduate, and you know Mike talked about how he always came up to Dope Campbell Stadium, season ticket holder for football. You know he's he's got a little bit of garnet and gold in his blood, and he and, and and Mike Martin Jr. go way back. They've kind of known each other, you know, through scouting and looking at the various showcases, trying to find baseball players. So I think I think that was a really good match for for Mike Martin Jr. to hire guys that that he knew that they could grind and, and guy that he could trust as he kind of builds his first staff here. Bob, good insight as always. Uh, the, the one remaining question is, do you want us to go with poison first next week? Or, or I mean, you want to give us any more hints for next time you join the show? I, I would love a little Guns N' Roses, but, uh, but yeah, poison, Def Leppard. Um, reach into your bag of tricks there, Tom Lang, and let me know what you got. All right, just have a little patience. We'll I'll find some GNR. You, we'll find some GNR. I got some tricks. He's got some tricks. Don't, yeah, don't cue him up. All right, thanks, Bob. Take care, guys. Our Osceola uh, insider. You can subscribe to the Osceola online at the what Osceola. Did, what did me call the, the the group that did all the uh, long standing recruiting at all the uh, weekend tournaments? He called it the jungle. Is that what what Meat referred to it as? The, the group that he oh the group of like six or eight assistants yeah. yeah they basically just caravan from baseball tournament to baseball tournament I think he called it the jungle I bet there's some stories in there yes and uh, maybe we'll have welcome to the jungle next time Bob joins us just saying all right take a break come back and wrap up front row Knowles after this. <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Just a few minutes to go. I'm still excited of the revelation of this week's Front Row Knowles. We found out that Bob Ferrante is an 80s hairband guy, so that's going to change the whole trajectory of the show moving forward. The only place you can get insight like that is right here. Well, it's a bye week. It's a bye week. I mean, you know, they had, they met the media on Monday, and it's everything's been quiet since then. Which means our listeners have something uh, has nothing to do other than watch TV. They don't have to go to the game. So on Saturday, 
make sure you check out Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They're your location for all your tool needs. It's where all the pros and do-it-yourself workers shop. Big box pricing with local service. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Tallahassee location opens Saturdays from 8 a.m. to noon. Get your honeydews out of the way. Get in front of the TV. You're good to go. Cornerstone Tool and Faster. Sounds like a good plan. Bye week. Get some projects done around the house. Keith, what would you like to clean up in the final couple of minutes here? Have we talked about Target? No, I'm just kidding. We don't need to go back there. Um, I did. Uh, I'll tell you who I met yesterday is Patrick Williams on the basketball team, who's the new highest recruit from Charlotte. Uh, had a chance. I was I was working with uh, via Chuck Walsh and uh, Steve, just doing a little bit of media training with some of the players. So I had a chance to meet Patrick. I, I think he's going to have a pretty big upside. They're, 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 they are really high on him very quietly. Yeah. Very quietly, they are very high on him. Well, I mean, there's talk about him being a one and done. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's that's the caliber player. I know they lost a bunch of guys from last year's team, but if you're bringing somebody in that's like that, now I haven't seen him play yet, um, but nice kid, uh, big kid, obviously. Of course, everybody's going to be taller than me, but uh, I'm, I'm excited well, about Most it. people are. I, I just admitted that. I said everybody's going to be taller than me. Mm-hmm. Everybody includes most. Mm-hmm. I got it. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. All right, Mr. Jones. Sir, yes, sir. Are you going to bring anything else to the program? Why would the day be different? That's my line. It's <laughs> normally my question. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be. Oh, I, I think it's going to be interesting uh, as we begin the, the second half of the season, so to speak, from a football standpoint after the bye. You know, everybody's expectation is going to be to lose to Clemson, but everybody's expectation has changed a little bit. And you've started hearing people talk about, well, you know, the rest of the schedule, maybe even including Florida, you know, Florida State can hang with. So that optimism and the uh, let's get back on the wagon and let's show up and, and see if we can't continue to participate and turn this thing around has happened imagine what it would be like if you had lost the game on saturday any of either of the last two yep, weeks yep we don't so, have to we don't have to imagine that we're out riding a two-game win well we do have to imagine it because in reality we didn't do it and notice we said we versus they lose we win all right we're done he's keith i'm tom we'll be back next week on front row Knowles. <laughs>